Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones, what's going on? Podcast Tuesday. Get it? Because we did three excellent hours of radio. The Daily Jungle right here. The Jim Rome Podcast with Gary Vaynerchuk. Episode 16, ready and waiting for you on your phone. And an action-packed Tuesday full of sports. Starting with that ugly Monday night game last night. It saw two guys leave on stretchers and the Bengals going Bengals and blowing a 17-0 lead. Other things we hit on today. I know personal appearance is not show fodder, but recently fired Giants head coach Ben McAdoo's personal appearance is completely whack. Georgia fans are getting ready for the Rose Bowl by finding Baker Mayfield's cell phone digits and hounding him with calls and texts. Anthony Lynn, the first place L.A. Chargers was in. Arizona State basketball coach Bobby Hurley joined me. L.A. Rams linebacker Mark Barron caught up before they run into Philadelphia this weekend. James Kelly stepping in and picking up Alvy, who's got the flu. James, do what Alvy usually does. It's Podcast Tuesday, and the Daily Jungle starts right now. I don't want to waste any time. Let's go right to last night's game. There have been some bad primetime games this year. Some really bad games, but last night's steelers bengal game was the worst. And I'm not talking about the fact that the Bengals managed to blow a 17-point lead, which you know I'll get to later on. Instead, I'm talking about the ugliness and the violence in that game. That was as bad and as dangerous a game as I think I've ever seen in my life. Two guys carted off on boards, one headshot after another. I've never seen a game like that. But who am I to say? Why not take it from somebody who played the game at the highest level? Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman tweeted, This game is hard to watch for a number of reasons. Terrible for the NFL and the game of football overall. End quote. Mike Freeman is somebody you've heard on this show a number of times. He's covered the NFL for a long time. He called it, quote, one of the ugliest, scariest games I have ever seen. End quote. Fact is, I cannot disagree. Because again, off the top of my head, I can't think of a scarier game that I've ever seen. Now, everybody knows the history and the bad blood between these two teams. The Carson Palmer injury, the Heinz Ward block, the ugly playoff game from last January. This, though, was worse than all of that. Let's start with the Ryan Shazier injury, which was among the scarier moments in recent NFL history. Shotgun snap. He has a pass down the middle. It's a short one. It was grabbed on a cross in stride at the 20-yard line and grabbed by Josh Malone. He was hit by the linebacker, Bud Dupree. There's a player down for Pittsburgh. The game was to the 17-yard line. You know, I think it's Ryan Chazier. It is. He makes the tackle, and he leads with his helmet. And it's the crown of his helmet that hits the, I think it looked like the, the, the ribs of the Bengal tight end. Well, I'll tell you what, that was not a pretty hit. Well, you know, I, I see him moving his arms. There's no question about that moving his hands. I still have not seen him move his legs. I know he grabbed at his lower back uh, right as uh, he got finished with the tackle. And they want to be, uh, obviously, uber careful taking him off. They don't want to injure anything else and make anything worse than it already is. And he is certainly uh, in, in bad shape right now. My man Boomer Esiason for Westwood One. Unlike pretty much everything that followed, that was a football play. Shazier was attempting to make a tackle. He suffered a serious back injury. He immediately grabbed for his lower back, was eventually strapped to a board, and then carted off the field, reportedly without feeling in his lower extremities. Terrifying moment. Every player on the field, 
everybody in the stands, everybody watching at home was shaken by that. Steeler Vince Williams became very emotional, and that was completely understandable. The game, of course, continued, and somehow the players were able to compartmentalize and continue playing, which I've never really understood, but they did. Not only did they compartmentalize it, they seemed to completely forget about it because then there was one dangerous hit after another. George Iloka on Antonio Brown on a ball that Brown didn't even attempt to catch. One guy after another, smashing into each other. It seemed like every single hit was an attempt to send a message. I get it. It's a rivalry, and there are guys with long memories and short fuses. But in the fourth quarter, things got even worse, like this. Roethlisberger, second down, 10 of his 40. He's flanked by the running back, Bell. The shotgun snap, the drop back at three. He looks down the field. He shuffles. He throws a short pass, a sidearm throw. It's a short pass, and it's caught by Bell at the 45. Drilled on the numbers at the 50. Flags are thrown. He takes it into Cincinnati territory. Running on the painted numbers in front of the Bengal bench here below us. A 12-yard catch and run, but flags all over the field where the contact occurred. I'll tell you, this is Juju Smith-Schuster just laid out. Vontez Perfect. He's going to be a hero in the Pittsburgh Steelers locker room when they watch this film. Uh-oh. Because Vontez Perfect is not a very well-liked person in Pittsburgh, of course. This is a, uh, a direct hit, and I think they're trying to keep these hits out of the game. There is a conference between the officials. This could be a defenseless player hit. You normally don't see these things, but Ooh. you can understand why they would call it. You don't see that very often, do you? A wide receiver laying out a linebacker like that. Juju Smith-Schuster flattening Vontez Perfect with a devastating block and then standing over him and was flagged for the hit and for taunting. Perfect left the game on a cart. And then it was Iloka again on Antonio Brown's touchdown. Roethlisberger first and goal at the six. Tenth play of the drive. Flanked by a back and three wide. Shotgun snap, cocks his right arm, throws a pass in the end zone, leaping, two-handed, falling down, backpedaling catch, touchdown Brown, flags thrown, six-yard strike, he took a wallop. It's amazing that Antonio Brown held on to that ball. I mean, when I saw that play, the second he made that play, all I could think is this dude is out of his mind. I'm not sure I've ever seen a better receiver. And I don't want to overreact to the moment, but I'm not sure I've ever seen a better or tougher receiver. I have no idea how he held on to that ball after that shot that he took from Iloka. Two guys, but at that point, again, what are we talking about here? Great play, but. There's a big but. Two guys have already been strapped to boards and taken away, and you're looking to land that kind of shot and get one or two more guys on boards. After everything had happened, he came in and went hat-to-hat with Antonio Brown as well. And what you don't want to do is come in here right now and say, this is just classic football. What's next? Putting flags on guys? Don't come in here with that argument because this is not what that was. I'm all in favor of physical football. Also, don't come in here and tell me that's simply AFC North football. Look, I get it. You want to play a physical brand of football, especially against a rival. But that wasn't physical football. That was scary. That was violent. That was borderline disturbing. I'm not saying I got to this point, but have you ever, and, and who amongst us, especially who listening, does not love football, does not love the NFL, have you ever once watched an NFL game and thought, damn, I mean, I don't know, man, this, this might be too much. This might be too much. This is borderline disturbing. Have you ever had that thought? 
I mean, maybe not. Maybe you watched that last night and thought that was the best thing you've ever seen. I'm here to tell you that's the first time in my entire life of watching football where I thought to myself, this really is borderline disturbing. These guys are coming in and going hat to hat, and they're doing it intentionally now. Big hits, great. I want to be very clear about this. Don't get this twisted. Big hits are awesome. Great. Guys getting strapped to boards and carted off, not good. We should be talking about football, not getting updates from hospitals about whether or not a player has feeling in all of his limbs, about whether or not a player is going to be able to walk again. Now, for his part, Juju Smith-Schuster apologized after the game. I didn't know it was uh, perfect at first. Uh, all I saw was, you know, the first Bengals dude that was in the tackle later on. So in my instinct, you know, I got a block from my, my teammate. And me just playing ball, um, you know, I hit him. Uh, after I seen the replay, I think I, think I should have held back a little bit more uh, and just, you know, from blocking him. Also, I also believe that that's not me. You know, it's I should never stop him. I apologize for that. And it's called with that, karma. With that, with that being said, um, I hope he gets better. How about that? Isn't that something? So you've got Juju saying that I didn't know it was perfect, and now that I've seen it, i got to apologize. I should not have done that. I should not have stood over him. That was Antonio Brown in the background, and Antonio's not having any of it. Antonio, who has been on the wrong end of perfect cheap shots, was not feeling so charitable. You heard him in the background reportedly or repeatedly saying the word karma, karma. So Juju is trying to own it, trying to apologize, trying to say that he should not have stood over perfect. But there's Antonio Brown saying, karma, karma. Karma. That's not me. It's called karma. I apologize for that. It's called karma. With that being said, it's called karma. He's being real clear about that, isn't he? So when asked if that was about perfect, Antonio Brown said, quote, I ain't talking about nobody. Karma is karma. Karma is life. You do the wrong things, you get the wrong things out of it, end quote. And then when asked about the Iloka hit, Brown said, quote, the guy just left his feet and hit me in the head. Karma for him, too. Karma, end quote. This is, as you may know, a huge Antonio Brown house. I love the guy. I love the guy. I love his game. I love his attitude. And again, he might be the best and toughest receiver I've ever seen, period. I mean, I love the guy that much, but I don't love that. Because if the take is that's karma and what goes around comes around, then nothing's ever going to change, and it has to. I mean, granted, in Brown's defense, I have not been cheap-shotted by Perfect or witnessed my teammates getting cheap-shotted by him. And I was not on the receiving end of that vicious headshot from Iloka that Antonio Brown was. But saying karma after a guy's been strapped to a board and carted off is not the best thing. It's not a good thing. And neither is standing over a guy after it looks like you put him to sleep. Maybe for good. So what I'm saying is, it's an ugly end to an ugly, ugly game. And the league and its players have got to do everything they can to minimize headshots. I know they're trying, but they should be. It's probably impossible to take them out of the game altogether. The sport's always going to be violent. And players will always know what they're signing up for. But you have to do even more to try to minimize the number of shots to the head. I mean, that got out of control last night. That was ugly. Ugly. And believe me, I'm not here to hate. I love the NFL. But that was ugly and dangerous and violent and really borderline disturbing. Where do you come out on this? 1-800-636-8686. This guy answers my question. At Great Bludini 4 he tweets, Last night, I finally started asking myself if I really want to be watching football. 
a Monday night football nail biter, and I felt gross, empty, and sad when it was over. Have you ever felt that way watching a football game before? Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn is my guest. Anthony, it's so good to have you back. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Jim. Good to be back, brother. Good to have you back. Thanks so much, coach. It is December. You've won three straight. You're tied for first in the division. You know, from the outside, it seems like you personally never had a doubt that you would get to this spot this season. Is it true? And how does it feel that you're there right now? Yeah, you know, it's true. We started out pretty rough, but we had a lot of football left in front of us. And, and, you know, this team never lost focus, never lost faith, you know, stay committed to one another. And, you know, we always believe that, you know, we play meaningful football in December. And, and right now it feels good. It feels good to be in the hunt. You know, we, we're not out by any means. We have the hole that we dug, but, you know, we are we are in the hunt. So. You are on the hunt. You're right where you need to be. Now, I had Philip Rivers on the show recently. He gave you a ton of credit for the turnaround and your ability to keep the team together after that rough start. So what was your message at that time? And then how did you go about keeping everybody together? You know, I always, you know, football to me is a, is, is a relational sport. And and I've always tried to relate, uh, you know, football to life. And, you know, and there's sometimes in life things don't go your way, and, you know. And, you know, you can play the stock market and things don't, don't go your way. It goes up and down, you know, peaks and valleys. And, and we just happen to be in a valley, you know, early on in our, in our season. And, and you know, you don't just abandon ship. You know, you don't just quit. You, you know, you fight you, you, for what you believe in. You fight for one another. And you know, and I, get, I just give credit to these guys. You know, they, they, they trust each other, they play for each other, and they don't want to let each other down. And so, you know, they, they show up every day. You know, you know what you're going to get from them. And and I just knew it was a matter of time for the ball to start bouncing our way, and we start executing and doing things right. LA Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn joins us. You know, can we talk about that specifically for a minute? As an example, a lot of teams might spend time on sports psychology and the mental side of things in the offseason, but it's something that you continue to develop on a monthly basis throughout the regular season. What's the thinking behind that, and what are some of the attributes that you're looking for to develop specifically? Well, I, I just really believe in you know in this league, you know, with these elite athletes and organizations that, you know, it's sometimes the little things that make the biggest differences. And and, and I just think the teams at the end that are holding that Lombardi Trophy, that there's a certain level of trust that they have for one another with the coaching staff, the organization, the ownership, and, and each other. And 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 we really worked on establishing that this off season, and, and we just continue to do it, you know, every uh, once a month during the season. And I just this team is very close. And, you know, regardless of what we do and what we accomplish, you know, I just uh, I think we're setting the foundation and the culture for, for years to come. And, and uh, you know, and I think, you know, winning six out of the last eight, I think it's starting to show a little bit. Anthony Lynn's my guest. You know, speaking of Rivers, let me go back to him. To me, he's one of the most fascinating guys in the league when it comes to his drive and his motivation. As you've spent more time around him, what have you learned through the course of this season that maybe you didn't know even a few months back? You know, I, I knew a lot about him, Jim, coming in, you know, and playing against him and uh, uh, so many times. And I, I just knew that he was he grew up in a coaching household. You know, his father was a, a Hall of Fame coach, and, 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 and Phillip approaches the field every day in his preparation, you know, like a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, he's, he's that extended version of you on the football field. And, and he understands what it takes to win in this league. And, and I have never been around an athlete more prepared, you know, and, you know, and that he wears it on his, on his sleeve. And I, and I understand that, you know, there's sometimes on the sidelines where we have some intense conversations and, and I'm okay with that because, you know, we, we, we have that 
trust, you know, in each other. We don't take it personal. And so uh, we, we like to call it a little healthy conflict. But uh, I, I love his emotions. I love his fire. And I think it was making him Philip Rivers. Yeah, speaking of trust, he's got an immense amount of trust in Keenan Allen. On Sunday, Keenan Allen became the first player in league history to record 10-plus <laughs> catches and 100-plus receiving yards in at least one touchdown, three straight games. Now, Anthony, you've been around the game a long time. You've seen your share of great receivers, including playing with Jerry Rice. So what do you make of what you're seeing from Allen right now? You know, it's just uh, it, it, it's just a beautiful thing to see him and Phil develop this chemistry with one another. And, you know, Kenan didn't play a lot last year. He got hurt in that first game. And, 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 and now you're starting to see those two on the field together and, and the chemistry that they have for one another. Phil knows when he's indicating stepping when he's making a move and I mean the ball's in the right place at the right time there are sometimes he's not even open and Phil just throws him open so that's nice to see that type of chemistry between the receiver and a quarterback and it's, it's taking some time but it's uh, you know what they're doing right now is pretty special and I had no idea that uh, Keenan had set that record last week and like you say I've, I would have thought Jerry Rice was done that a long time ago but uh, you know Rod Smith you know but uh, you know that was that, that was a nice accomplishment by those two. Some amazing receivers, but that record is his. You know, I, I spoke also to Casey Hayward not long ago, and he, of course, played in Sunday's game after going home to spend time with his family after the passing of his brother. As a head coach, how do you go about helping a player deal with a tragedy like that? Because I know there's no playbook for that. No, you know, it's just that was tough, man. And and, and I just wanted Casey to know and, and everybody on his team let him know that we're here for him and we wanted him to go home and be with his family and uh, and, and just, just mourn with his family and just know that, you know, we got this. Whether you make it back or not, brother, we got this. And, but, you know, he wanted to come back. He wanted to be here with us and, and, and play for his teammates. And, and he went out and he couldn't play. He could have done a better job. I mean, we put him on the Josh Gordon, who, who looks like he hasn't missed a beat, you know, and, and Casey covered him all day and made some plays. And and uh, it was it was just great to have him back. And, and we just wanted him to know that it, you lost a brother, but you also have 63 other brothers here, you know, in, in Coastal Mesa. So it's, it's good to have him. You know, you mentioned Josh Gordon, Anthony. This guy is incredible. I don't know That's how you missed freak. that amount. A freak, right? In a league of freaks, this is one of the freakiest guys I've ever seen. What's that say about him that he could just show up after missing that much time and still be that dangerous? Man, I just I hope for his sake that uh, you know he he learned a lot from his mistakes and that he's ready to move on and be a and be a professional in this league because he's he's going to be he's already special but he's going to be real special. I mean, the man had been on the football field in three years and, and it looked like he's been there every single day, and so that 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 was just impressive. Last thought, you know, when you're at this point of the season, I know you don't want to spend too much time looking back. And you've said that you've got a 24-hour rule when it comes to games. But the loss to Jacksonville took oh, you more damn, than – Don't bring that one up, Jim. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying not to, <laughs> Coach. But, I mean, 72 hours, that's not like you. That's not like you. Why 72 hours? Like, why was that so significant? But in, in why I do bring this up, how did that impact things going forward? You know, I, I think it, hopefully in a positive way. It's just uh, – after that game, you know, and we were we were playing some good ball before that. It's just after that game, I I just that's not the type of team that I, I, I want to have. And then you know the the we had better character than that. We were smarter than that, and uh, we just that game for whatever reason, you know, we made some bad decisions at at the wrong time and. Uh, and moving forward, you know, we, we we had a heart-to-heart in that locker room after that game. We had a heart-to-heart the very next week. 
and and I just let some guys know that those things were going to change. And and I had to make a couple moves, and I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't announce it to the public, but I made some in-house moves, and 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 it shook some things up a little bit, but. That just uh, I never lost a game like that before in my life, and and that just kind of shook me up a little bit, and, and it kind of woke me up a little bit too. So, you know, you emphasize things over and over, and and, and at some point you got to start getting what you emphasize. This email reads, "Dear Jump Man, instead of getting to your Chiefs take, could you please spend a little more time on Ben McAdoo's hair? And while you're at it, Bruce Arians wears a goofy hat, and Mike Zimmer's glasses look stupid." Delangley, yours, Phil in Missouri. Of course, Phil, you're in Missouri. You don't want me going to the Chiefs' take. First of all, Bruce Arians wears an awesome hat. And get off Mike Zimmer's specs. The guy's had eight eye surgeries, Phil. That's why he wears those specs. You ever stop to think for one second why he might be wearing those glasses? Because he's had eight eye surgeries, like in the last eight months. Bad take, Phil. Bad take. And I'll get to your team. Trust me. But I probably should finish the thought on McAdoo because I want to let you know where I'm going with that. That's not, this is not Romageddon all over again. This does not mean that it's okay for you to crack on how people look. Again, we're not doing that. My point about McAdoo, now that he's out especially, is I just can't get over this guy's look. And how you look matters to a certain extent. It just does. Why do you think a guy like Rob Ryan was never going to get a head coaching job? Because of the way he presented himself. Because of his look. And because of the way he coached, obviously. But that guy never had a shot. Because of the way he looked. So you get McAdoo. And how you look, and especially fronting that team in that market, is important. I mean, I, I have no idea how that guy showed up like that. Like I said, he would kill in the Kurt Orban test. It looks like he hits his dome with three quarts every single day, which isn't much worse, though, than him rocking the worst-fitting suit ever at an introductory presser. Have you forgotten about that, too? If so, go back and look. If you're Bill Belichick, you can dress any way you want. But if you're Ben McAdoo coaching the New York Giants— You probably don't want to be dumping motor oil into your lettuce and gearing up in a clown suit every single day. And the weird thing is, dude actually did experiment with different looks. When he showed up, he wasn't going with 1040 in his lettuce. Go back and look at the opening presser. He had that horrible bowl cut for most of last year. And then he went with that low-rent villain with the slick back lettuce look this year. Also, you don't just stumble into that dumb, enormous windbreaker that he liked to rock, too. That was a choice, a bad choice, but a choice nonetheless. What I'm saying is you got to work pretty hard to have that bad of a look, that bad of a haircut, that bad of a wardrobe. And if you can't find a suit, a suit that fits in New York City, and it's impossible not to, it's New York City. If you can't, then just show up and wear a Giants polo. Hell, wear a jersey. That would have been a better look than going all talking heads and David Byrne with it. Hell, borrowing one of those letter coats from Matthew Lesko would have been better. I'm not saying that's why he got fired. I'm not saying that he'd still have his job if he had a tighter look. But he couldn't have looked any more ridiculous than he did. Here's what I'm getting at. How the hell... Could that coach have any credibility with that look? 
just looking at him on the sideline made it seem like he had no idea what the hell was going on. And then you see his team play, and it really seemed like he had no idea what the hell was going on. So looking the part is key. His look made less sense than benching Eli for Geno. Hell, the more I think about it, the more I talk through it, the more I think maybe he did get fired for the way he looked. And if so, they would have been right to do so. Again, understand that personal appearance is not show fodder. Never has been, never will be, and we're just not doing it. But this guy looked truly ridiculous. As much as people laugh at the fact that baseball managers wear uniforms, they still look better than McAdoo did. He should have worn a Giants helmet on the sideline. I mean, Belichick may cut the sleeves off his hoodies, but McAdoo looked like he just cut holes in hefty bags and jumped in. It matters. How you look does matter. We are joined by Arizona State coach Bobby Hurley. Bobby, it's great to have you on. How are you? Great, Jim. How you doing, man? Bobby, I'm great. I'm great. You guys are doing so well. Why don't you get me caught up? You're 7-0. and Earlier this season, the team entered the AP. Bobby, top 25 for the first time since 09. You're up to number 16. I know it's early December. I know nobody gets trophies for where they're ranked in December. Yeah. But what has this season been like for you so far? Well, I mean, it started in the summer. I thought the guys made a, a great commitment, uh, you know, to get better and improving, you know, in the off season and, we, Jim, we took a foreign trip. Uh, you know, we were in Europe. We went to uh, Rome and, and Barcelona and, you know, just had some additional practice time in, in July, and I thought that was beneficial. And then, you know, just the, uh, you know, we played well there. We, we were undefeated in the three games and, you know, won fairly convincingly in, in all the games. So I think that gave us confidence. And, you know, I'm just blessed to have a, a great core of seniors. You know, Jim, now in college basketball, everyone – talks about the freshmen and how the impact that they have. But, you know, my three senior guards, Shannon Evans, who came with me from Buffalo and has had great success here in the Pac-12, and Trey Holder is uh, playing as any good as good as any guard in the country right now as a senior, and, and then Cody Justice also. So those, those three guys have really been the difference for us early right now. Bobby Hurley joining us. You can't say enough about having senior leadership in the backcourt. You mentioned Trey Holder. He had a monster performance against Xavier. He had 40 points, but he seemed to be more interested, Bobby, in the trophy than his stats. He said, quote, I have never won at any level of my career. I think I had one year in high school when we were over 500, but other than that, we weren't that good. It's cool to see what we've done so far. So what's it like to see guys like Holder, who haven't won a lot, starting to get that taste of winning? Well, it's it's you know, it's been a process for Trey, and, and he's gotten better every year. He's added things to his game each year, and he's made more of a commitment to the defensive end of the floor this year for us, which is, is paying dividends. And, you know, he's rebounding for a guy that's under six feet tall. He's averaging, you know, five rebounds a game. And uh, so just, you know, playing an all-around game for us. You know, we talk a lot about winning. You know, my point guards, I start three point guards, uh, Shannon Evans and Cody Justice are also point guards that are playing different positions. But, you know, we talk about that position in particular and, and basically like a quarterback in football, you know, you're judged on winning, you know, not statistics. So 
I'm glad they're embracing that and just excited for uh, what we've been able to do so far. Arizona State head coach Bobby Hurley, my guest. You mentioned Shannon Evans. He's one of the senior guards, and he recently said, quote, we've had a lot of dark days here, but I feel like guys worked hard even when we were going through it. Now I feel like our work is getting a little light, getting a little line or a little sunshine. You know, he's referenced you, Bobby, as his best friend. The two of you go way, way back. How would you describe your relationship with Evans? Well, he was, Jim, my first year as a head coach at Buffalo. He was, he was my first recruit. He was, uh, so he was a freshman my first year as a head coach. And, you know, I've grown and, and developed, you know, with him and kind of followed his heart. You know, it's taken me good places, you know, as a coach. The guy uh, is six feet tall and had one scholarship, you know, out of, out of high school to Buffalo and just plays with a tremendous chip on his shoulder and, uh, you know, it's, it's gotten better every year. It's surpassed so many guys, you know, so many guys that were rated ahead of him in, in these rankings and whatnot. And uh, it doesn't care about any of that. It's just, a, you know, a fierce competitor. And, uh, you know, we've really connected, you know, which you hope to do with uh, with the players you coach. And it's going uh, to be difficult when he's gone uh, because I, I've had him every year. I've been a head coach. Yeah, Bobby, we've talked about a couple of guys that were six feet or shorter. The truth is, a lot of success on this team. You've had a lot of success, and with just seven scholarship players and a roster, frankly, that really isn't tall. In fact, it's one of the shortest in big-time basketball. So how exactly are you pulling this off? Well, I think it's, you know, we're getting, uh, we're getting the most out of what we have right now, and, and there's help coming here shortly. We, we have uh, Mickey Mitchell, 6'7", 225 transfer from Ohio State that's that's eligible Sunday for our Kansas game. He was a mid-year transfer. And, um, and then Kamani Lawrence was a, you know, a top 50 player in the United States, 6'7", you know, 215, and long, great wingspan, good all-around player. He unfortunately had a, had a stress fracture in his foot the day before our first game. He probably would have been a starter for us. So we're getting these guys back this month and the next couple of weeks, and you know, will certainly give us a, you know, an injection of uh, – of size and then and you know better rebounding and defense but you know even a guy like remy martin another la guy you know sierra canyon high school is, hasn't played like a freshman he's come in and played so poised against xavier at 13 points against them and coming off the bench providing a great spark and he's another small point guard and uh, applies tremendous uh, ball pressure on the defensive end and you know so he's he's really helped and Romello White sat out last year. He was, you know, he was a highly regarded player and you know, good size and could really finish around the basket. Last year, we had a hard time getting a rebound or, or finishing anything with, with, with our front court. And we're getting a lot more contributions from Romello White and Daquan Lake. Bobby Hurley joining me for a few more moments. You know, I want to be sure, Bobby, I'm clear about this. When talking about Xavier, you had a 16-point win over Xavier in the championship game of the Las Vegas Invitational. Let's not forget, they were number 15 in the country at the time. They went to the Elite Eight last year. They're expected to be great again this year. And now you're 7-0, as I mentioned, for the first time since 1980. You're ranked number 16 overall. Bobby, when you first got to Arizona State, the thought was it's going to take a little while to get this thing turned around. And maybe you were looking towards building towards something something special next season, but you are in the top 25. Are you running ahead of everybody else's schedule, or maybe are you right on your own schedule? I mean, I, I just, it's, it was hard to gauge, and, and you want it to happen right away, and, and you're a competitor, and uh, but it just doesn't work that way. I, you know, just watching the Pac-12, seeing what UCLA had in Oregon and Arizona, and, you know, from a talent standpoint, just USC just knew you had to, 
continue to get better and uh, it's going to take more time and just proud of how our, our players have developed in the program and, and the seniors, especially Trey Holder, Cody Justice, Shannon Evans. Uh, you know, I got some NBA guys. I think, I think Shannon and Trey are both, you know, going to, going to get looks in the NBA and Cody will at some point as well. So, you know, that's what you need at this level. And, you know, I, our practices, Jim, are, are fierce. You know, we have, we have a, you know, a really strong second unit. We got a couple of guys sitting out transferred. So the future is, you know, we're, we're really stocked uh, even moving forward. So, you know, our second unit, you know, would, would push our first unit on most days. So it's, uh, it's exciting, you know, just what we're building, you know, long term. All right, so one more thing. You're locked in. You're dialed in. But when you step away from the court for a moment, you said that you sometimes like to watch cooking shows. Who, Bobby, who are the chefs that you watch, and what do you like about them? Well, I mean, I watch Ramsey and, and just see, you know, how, again, he's, uh, he's, he's high energy, and uh, he could flip out at times like myself. So I, I see some <laughs> similarities there uh, in both our respective fields. And, uh you no, know, but I just like the competition of it, and I might pick up something that I could do. I'm, I'm primarily a grill man, you know, but, uh, you know, it gives me a chance just to disconnect from the craziness of my life and, and all the different things that are happening. You can just kind of focus on something else. And, and I do like the horses too, Jim. I'm from a distance now, but I'm, I still uh, I, I know that we share that that same thing in common that we that we like the ponies. Yeah, no, we do. I, I I like to watch the chefs, but I've got no ability and no skills there, Bobby. So that's not going to work. As far as the ponies go, I don't need to tell you this, Bobby. It it's a humbling game. You know, I I had that great great run, and we're trying to stay in it, trying to grind it out. But it is yeah. a really humbling game, isn't it? It is. There's there's more disappointment than there are great moments, and you just you cherish the great moments. You know, when I had song and a prayer it was it was a phenomenal uh run and that we had and uh great job by my trainer john dowd and it was just uh, an enjoyable you know break for me from basketball but uh you know i followed the sire lines and unbridled song with song and a prayer's daddy and and now i see arrogate the great horse from the west coast was was another son of song of unbridled song so i still follow you know the game and uh from a distance it's enjoyable you know, you had a big-time horse in Song and a Prayer. I think, Bobby, you can speak to this because when I try and talk to horse people, they always try to talk in analogies. They want to make comparisons to get lay people to understand. But you are a, a former athlete at the highest level, so I think you can respond to this or help me relate to this. Am I out of line? Like, when you have a great equine athlete, do you look at that great athlete and think about any of the other great athletes that you ran with or played against? Or are we just talking about a horse? You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think that being around that horse, and he wasn't by any means the top horse of his generation or his his class or whatever. But he he just exuded so much presence and, and dominance around him. He just kind of walked around like he knew he was he was a bad boy, you know, and uh, you know just had so much uh, class that he exuded, you know, that you could tell that that he felt like. Like a lot of the, the high-level athletes that, that you played against or played with, that they know they're really good at what they do. That's what it is. That's what I'm getting. I'm glad that you answered it that way, and I thought that you might because even like when we own shared belief, let me tell you, I, yeah. I've, I may not have played the game, but I've been around the game and been around enough athletes, Bobby. The great ones know it. The alphas know it. And when they walk into whatever their arena is, they expect to win and dominate. And horses are no different. They know they're special. The special ones know that they're special. Yeah, and there's there, and, and this one, even Song of Grass, such an intelligence. He, right. he liked the peppermint candies. So when, when our trainer would go into into his office, 
that he'd pop his head out and start looking because he expected to get his treat, you know, and it was just, he had so much uh, intelligence too, which I didn't really notice from some of the others in the barn. So it's, it's, it was, it was a different situation. One more topic for you before the end uh, of this first half hour, the Heisman dropped three envelopes in the mail last night. They invite Louisville's Lamar Jackson, Stanford's Bryce Love, and Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield to New York. If those three names sound especially familiar, it's probably because the invite list is drenched with jungle karma. Lamar was one of our very first podcast guests. He joined me in episode three. Bryce was on this show a few weeks back. And while I have not interviewed Baker yet, Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley came in after the Sooners dropped the hammer on Ohio State. And Mayfield planted that OU flag right in the middle of the horseshoe, which leads me back to Mayfield. How big of a favorite is the Oklahoma quarterback to win the Heisman? So big that they pulled the odds on him a few weeks back before he went nuts on West Virginia and TCU in the Big 12 title game. At last look, you had to lay two grand to win 100 bucks. That's a bad bet. That's a really bad bet. That's a bridge jumping kind of bet. Who's going to lay out two grand to win 100 bucks? Not me. No matter how well, even if you know he's going to win, would you make that bet? That lets you know that while three guys got invites, all three had seasons that warranted that kind of respect. That this guy still ran away with this a long time ago. And the other two guys had big, big years. And he was still that much of a favorite. He ran away with it a while back, and he spent the last few weeks just high-stepping it to the podium. Now, that being said, his season has not been without missteps, both on and off the field. I mean, the guy really has apologized almost as many times as he's thrown touchdown passes. Some for things that I have no problem with, like planting that flag. Others for mistakes that he absolutely should not have made that he should have known better then. But Georgia fan... You know who you're dealing with here. He's the ultimate chip-on-his-shoulder guy. And he just got a freaking boulder dropped right there by dog fans who apparently got their hands on his digits. And they went to town. He acknowledged it on Twitter. At Baker Mayfield 6 tweets. To whoever posted my cell number, bravo. But I got it changed. And to the Georgia fans that had the kind words of encouragement, I applaud your creativity. End of tweet. That's pretty good. Dog fans, as much as I respect you getting this thing started before the ink even dried on the college football playoff bracket, are you sure that you didn't just want to let this dude lie? That you didn't want to let him spend December trying to juggle victory lap after victory lap on the awards circuit and hope that he got fat in the process. The guy is a finalist for a half a dozen major awards. The Heisman, the Walter Camp, the Manning Award, the Maxwell Award, the O'Brien Award, the Burlesworth Trophy, given to the most outstanding college football player who began his career as a walk-on. This dude didn't need any more fuel. And you just emptied another barrel into his tank. Look, we've seen what this guy can do in big games. He lit up Ohio State. He lit up Oklahoma State. He lit up West Virginia and TCU and basically everybody he's gone up against the last two years. And I'll give you this. While none of these teams play defense like Georgia does, the best thing you could have done is leave this guy alone and hope that he got fat. 
fat in his head, fat in his gut, and then just wait for the granddaddy of them all. That's what you should have done. Let your D do the talking, not yourselves, not the fans. I think that was a mistake. I'm not going to say it's going to cost you the game. I am going to say it's not going to help you in any regard. Should have let that guy lie. Should have left him alone. Should have. Too late now. You don't want to give fuel guys like that any more fuel. Now it's running off his tank and down the street. Bad play. We can't talk about that matchup. All right, here's what I want to do. Quick timeout, sports update, last segment. Set it up, do what you want with it. Come and get some. 1-800-636-8686. Dear Jumpman, I cannot believe how far inside of the Bengals' domes the Steelers are. Yours, Mike in Indy, residing inside of Vic and NoCal's dome. Brendan in the Natty. I haven't heard from either one of those guys in a while. Mike in Indy or Vic in NoCal. I smacked Vic so hard a couple weeks back, he got put in the concussion protocol. Then I protocol left the week after that. And you better get the smelling salts out again, Romy, because I'm not finished. The doctors on the smack-off CTE committee identified three guys who were deemed to be most at risk because I've protocoled them so many times. The first case identified was Vic. The committee observed that Vic tended to be a regular in all the places you don't want to be a regular. The check cashing store, the neighborhood whorehouse, fifth place in the smack-off. So they ordered a scan of Vic's brain, and in his brain scan, they saw an image of me waving at the camera. I've been in Vic's head so long, the state of California tried to charge me property taxes. This is why this guy's not only one of the greatest callers, maybe the best caller in this show's history, maybe. Definitely one of the best callers in radio history. Mike and Andy, in any genre, any format, any show. Because he's protocoling chumps. Snot bubbling and protocoling chumps. He made protocol a verb. Mike and Indy, whenever you're ready, Mike. Mike's got other things going on. It's not smack off season. Not yet. Mark Barron is my guest. Mark, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? What's up? What's up? It's December. You're in first, Mark, in the NFC West. You've got that huge game against Philly on Sunday. Truth of the matter is, as much success as you had in high school and college, you haven't had as much as a team in the NFL. So how does right. it feel to be to go to work every single day knowing that you've got big, exciting games ahead of you and we're in December? Uh, honestly, man, it, it's a great feeling. And it's, it's the feeling that you you know you chase. Uh, you know, in this league, everything is about winning. So, uh, you know, this is always the goal. This, this is what you want. So it's, uh, it's a great feeling to be actually getting that done me for the first time in my career because I never this is my first one season since I've been in the NFL so uh it's most definitely a, a, a feeling that I'm enjoying and uh, trying to soak in yeah it's kind of hard to imagine right you had so much success in high school and college which we'll get into in a minute but you've played your entire NFL career and you just said it you haven't had a winning season like so what's it like to be in the middle of this right now like I said it's just uh it's a great feeling but at the same time like you just said we're in the middle of it it's not done and um uh, you know, the end goal is, is to win it all. So right now we're just trying to keep this thing going and keep pushing forward. Look, you're not going to look back, especially when you've got so many good things ahead of you. But let me ask you this. You were all state in high school at St. Paul's. You won state titles in football, shot put, discus, long jump, and the triple jump. Then you go to Alabama. You win a pair of national championships. You were used to winning. And then you come to the NFL. You're with the Buccaneers and the Rams, and you lose a lot. What was it like to go from winning to losing, and did it take a toll on you? 
uh, I wouldn't say it took a toll. Like I just had to do some, <laughs> some, some mental uh, adjusting. I would say I had to adjust myself mentally. And uh, you know what I did, what I ended up coming up with it is just that finding a way to never lose. Like even when you lose, you know, it's so much that you can take from that. So finding ways to, to take gains from losing and, and just finding, I guess, different types of victories within a loss. So, uh, you know, that's kind of something I gained from that. Yeah, it's I guess from those experiences of losing. Mark Barron joining us. That's really interesting, finding a way to take a win from a loss. Now, Wade Phillips has taken over that defense this year, and the defense, which was always good, he's gone to a new level. How would you describe the impact that he's had on that group? Uh, you know, I, I feel like really his resume, how long he, he's been known as a, a, a great defensive mind, I feel like all that stuff really speaks for itself. And for for him to pick up and come to a new place and then, you know, in the first year, you know, be having his defense playing at a at a winning level. I feel like that's that's that that says a lot about uh Willie well really it says everything that you need to know about him. That he can just pick up and then come over here and already be successful within that that first year. LA Rams linebacker Mark Barron joining us. Now you and I have talked in the past about your move from safety to linebacker in a four three, and then this year you move from inside linebacker or two inside linebacker in a three four. What's this latest transition been like for you? Um it, it it's been a transition. But, I mean, I don't know if you remember everything about the last conversation uh, we had about my first transition. But for me, I'm just playing football. Uh, you know, the, way I, the way I look at it, you tell me what I'm responsible for, uh, and I'm going to find a way to get it done, and that's, that's essentially what I'm doing. My man, not only do I remember it, but you just ripped my next question. I was going to say, when you see something like that and you understand the scheme, is it not just a matter of football just being football, and it really doesn't matter where you line up on the field? Right, right. And I think you just answered it. That's what that is. Now, in addition yeah, to the defense... I just have an understanding of the game, and I guess, you know, I, I played in so many different schemes, you know, because I, like, I, I played for, uh, let's see, since I've been in the NFL, I played, this is my fourth head coach. And then in college, you know, I played in a, in a, in a pretty complicated uh defensive scheme so I, I, I've learned a lot about about defenses so I, can, I kind of have a, a good understanding of, of different schemes and, and how to play within different uh, schemes and, and how to play different positions so uh, the, the transition it, it really hasn't been too hard for me. Yeah, and Mark are you one of those guys then because you see this sometimes some guys can just pick stuff up really quickly right. really really quickly are you one of those guys or are you just somebody who's on that grind who prepares and who's always willing to work and do what it takes to learn it? Yeah, I mean, I'm always I'm, I'm gonna do whatever I need to do to be successful, uh, regardless of how, how much it takes, how much work it takes. Whatever I gotta do to go out and, and be successful and, and perform at the level I, I at the standard I hold myself to, uh, that, that that's what I do. You know, when Sean McVay was hired, people in the coaching community raved about how special and how unique, how different this young guy was. From mm-hmm. a player's perspective, what's it been like to play for him? Um. It's been great. Obviously, like I said, he, he's leading us to my first to my first uh, winning season. And uh, just, just sitting back and watching him work, uh, you know, I, I see so much in him that I that I've seen. Uh, and some well, well, I'll just be specific when I say this about uh, like I, I've seen I see a lot of things that I saw with Coach Saban and him when it like when it comes to precision and attention to details and and uh, you know just staying on top of everything and for him to be that young and doing it is it, really something special to see. You know, what about that attention to detail? How does that, how big of an impact does that have? And then how does that show up in winning or losing a game? People always talk about attention to detail. People always talk about it, but people don't always follow through with it. People don't always have that attention to detail. They always talk about it, but they don't necessarily have it. And when you have it, 
be able to to, to have the, some of the success that we're having like right now. And uh, you know, in this league, everything comes down to some, well, sometimes it comes down to just those small details. Like you know, the margin of victory is not usually that big. I mean, we we have some blowouts this year, but usually you know, margin of victory is, is, is not much. So um, a lot of times it comes down to you know something small or just, just even. Like like this battle we got coming up, you know, it's it's two good teams. So a lot of times games like that don't come down to who make the least mistakes and, and who who's gonna have the most in the detail. So before you bounce, how about one thought on that battle? You've got Philadelphia, Carson Wentz. A win on Sunday would give you a tiebreaker over two of the three teams that are battling for that first round bye. How do you go mm-hmm. about preparing to stop that offense and that quarterback? Uh, we go about it the same way we go about every game. I mean, we, we don't take anybody lightly. Uh, I mean, we, we do understand it's a big game, but we're going to, we're going to trust, you know, our process. We're going to trust what we're doing. We've been successful for it. So, uh, we'll just keep preparing the way we have and we'll go out and, and play our game the way we've been doing. That does it. Man, we had a day, right? Three great hours of live radio, the Daily Jungle, the Jim Rome Podcast with Gary Vaynerchuk, episode 16. That's three for me. Check back tomorrow. We will see you then. We're out.